Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. So, uh, tell us where you're off to, Holly. Ah, I am. I'm getting to go to Ecuador with my son, whose school takes an annual trip to Ecuador and the Galapagos. And he is just dying to go. My um, 12 year old is fascinated by and uh, studies voraciously geography and evolution and the solar system. So he has had Ecuador on his top five list of places to visit for a long time. And I'm excited to go with him, so. And you're going to the Galapagos, you're going to Galapagos Islands too? Yes, I I think of Ecuador as like the birthplace of our understanding of evolution. Mm -hmm. And so there's something sort of holy about this to me. going to this place where I can only imagine the crisis of imagination that Charles Darwin had when he realized, holy bleep, this here planet's been around a lot longer than we think it has. Mm -hmm. And we are super similar to the fruit fly. Like how small and how grand he must have felt at that moment, you know, but that's the birthplace of that really shifted so much understanding about life and evolution and everything. (laughs) So I put forward an idea in a text to you this morning that what we could do on this podcast was talk, um, since we're going to be taking some time off since you'll be gone, um, about resources that we find valuable that we could recommend to other people that they might want to dig into in the interim. And when I mentioned that to you, you gave it a thumbs up. And then you mentioned podcast. Mm -hmm. And I just, I I will make an observation. I'm going to be with my extended family over Easter. And um, both my son and my daughter and their spouses and my two grandchildren, who are both in universities now, When they get together, Mm -hmm. they talk about all of the TV shows and the podcasts that they watch and they listen to. And I am just stunned about when in the world (laughs) do you find time to do this? Yeah. So let let me in on that secret. You have three kids and you listen to a lot of podcasts. (laughs) I don't actually listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm very like choiceful in the, in the podcasts that I do listen to regularly And then I might listen to some sort of spontaneously. Someone might send me one or someone might recommend something to me that I'll listen to. There's one that I've taken a little dive into um, that's called We Do Hard Things. Um, And it's between one of my favorite soccer players, Abby Wambach and her wife, Glennon Doyle. And it's these two women talking in really sincere and genuine ways about life with other women. It's almost always women, some threesome or foursome of women. Um, and I have a an really soft spot in my heart for female athletes. I just think they're badasses. I just think like, 
they work so hard for so little pay and so much less recognition than our male um, superstars mm-hmm. do, you know? So, um, so anyways, I love that podcast and I do recommend it. Um, at least the little dive I've taken into it. It's called, we do hard things. And I would say it's probably more to a female audience. Hmm. Do you listen to any podcasts? Are there other ones that you enjoy? Um, right now I'm listening to an audio audible book by Jim Finley on Michael Eckhart. Uh, so it's not mm-hmm. exactly a podcast and you know my love and affection for Jim Finley. I had to spend yeah. over an hour in the dentist chair this week and um, oh. I listened to my very favorite podcast when I'm in a situation like that which is has nothing to do with religion or spirituality, but it's so funny. And that's, wait, wait, don't tell me. I love that show. It never fails yeah. to make me laugh, but anyway. No, oh, for sure. No, there's some, some real wonderful absurdity that goes on on that show. And I love it too. I usually listen to it on Sundays when it's airing on, on NPR, but. Yeah. So I got this invitation mm-hmm. from a, a group here at St. Paul's that wants me to come one evening next month to talk to them about books. They're a book group. And uh, so they asked the question, what are you currently reading and what did you recommend most last year? And um, that I can answer really easily. What I'm currently reading is I'm rereading three books by Pima Children. Uh, when things fall apart, I just finished the places that scare you. And mm-hmm. um, so I, I like her. It's helpful for me to reread that. And um, the two books that I most recently finished, I'm not sure that you won't have to bleep this out on the <clears throat> podcast, but um, Chris Kratzer has written a book called Stupid Shit Heard in Church. And I have been reading great that. title. Huh? That's a great title. Isn't it? I love it. Yeah. I mean, it's really, really good. And um, he really gets what's going on in evangelical Christianity. And he has a very aggressive and assertive stance against it. Um, so I, mm-hmm. I, I think that's good. And I just finished reading a book by a guy named Duke Robinson called The Self-Destruction of America's Churches. And I uh, uh-huh. got in touch with him to see if he would be willing to come and speak at St. Paul's. But um, he is my age, says he doesn't like to travel anymore. And he would maybe do something with us virtually, but um, he suggested getting people to read the book first. And I'm not sure yeah. I'm very successful in getting people to read books. The book I recommended the most consistently last year was uh, Field of Compassion by Judy Canada, and of course, um, Living an Examined Life by Jim Hollis needs to be read by everybody. Yeah, yeah. I love both of those books and return to, you can return to either one of those like a single chapter at a time and not necessarily in order too. you know just if oh let me go back and read about morphogenic fields which we talked about last time mm-hmm. or you know I think I think um for me right now that's an uh, effective way to read because I've been you if 
if we could show a video here, I would rotate my screen to let you see the stacks upon stacks upon stacks of academic books that I have that I just need to be able to pick up. Um, I'm spending a lot of time in this chair writing right now. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I just need my references right next to me. So that is my primary brain space right now, but I'm really appreciating books that I can just go back to or pick up and read in small chunks. One of the ones that I'm really enjoying that's actually a sort of daily meditation is um, A Year with Hafiz. And you know how much we both mm -hmm. love Hafiz, but it's a 365 days of contemplations or poems translated of Hafiz's. And, um, you know, he's so he's so funny or in some of the ways in which he is translated is also funny <laughs> um so i i do recommend this book too a year with hafiz um tell tell me oh, tell us more specifically what your doctoral dissertation is about oh sure um well you know broadly speaking it's about imagining um imagining a healed world, but specifically speaking through the process of white people engaging in healing white racism. And so I'm thinking through this process of how did white racism begin in this country? How has it shaped our country? What needs to be done to dismantle it? And then to reconstruct something else that is more inclusive and equitable. You know, so. um, we just celebrated this week a truly historic moment with Ketanji Brown Jackson. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And um, I watched <clears throat> on television when the vote was taken in the Senate. God. And all of the Republican white guys got up and turned their backs and walked out without acknowledging. That's so sad. It's just so undignified. It's rude. That's what it is. Yeah. It shows their, and, and their to, childishness and their... It's, it's yeah. just awful. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was interesting as I was listening to some of those um, be replayed, so many people said, I commend Judge Brown Jackson on her accomplishments and the hurdles that she has jumped and the way in which she conducted herself, but I definitively cannot vote for her. You know, so it's kind of one of those like, slap you on one side of the face or kiss you on one side of the face and then slap you on the other side of the face, you know? Um, and they couldn't Oops. vote for her. They also couldn't say why they couldn't vote for her. They couldn't vote for her That's because exactly she was right. a black woman. And and she doesn't play to their base. And that's, um, you know, I, I yeah, I mean, it, it, what a historic and wonderful celebration for her and for uh, black women and girls across the country who can now say, aha, it's possible, right? Um, I think there's still so many ceilings that need to be shattered. <laughs> um, and sometimes I feel sad that there are still so many ceilings that need to be shattered. Um, but I also think about what 
I was reading something the other day and, and actually um, I recommend for reading almost anything by Bell Hooks. I think she is such a sharp thinker and, and a very clear writer. And one of the books I recommend is all about love. Um, but what, what I was going to say is that um, this kind of idea that throughout the most difficult moments in history, Jim Crow South, even enslavement, uh, women not having the rights to vote or to their own bodies, which is all in question again, um, is that there were acts of radical love and intimacy that proved even during the worst moments in our history that love is a source of survival, mm -hmm. that love is going to refute any form of domination. You know, and Bell Hooks writes about that. Throughout our history, love has always found a way to be a force that challenges the glass ceiling or challenges the dominator's construct. Um, yeah, it's just always holding these things in tension, but a, a really wonderful podcast that I do love that's also a little bit like a daily meditation, this is just a jump off, is um, Padre Gotuama's uh, Poetry Unbound. He reads a poem, explicate it, then reads it again. And they're only about 15 minutes, uh, but a really lovely sort of thoughtful way to engage with poetry. What is the name of that and podcast? It's called Poetry Unbound. Poetry Unbound. I'm so glad <laughs> that you put me on to him and reading his book has been very, very helpful. Mm -hmm. Into the Shelter. That's a wonderful read. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He has a friend you know, I, who is also from Ireland who has mm -hmm. written a book called How Not to Be Afraid. And mm -hmm. um, he writes this book of spirituality. It's very poetic, uh, set against the background of the troubles in Ireland, too, oh, as well. Mm -hmm. So um, hmm. very good spiritual book. And, and you know, I... I'll, I'll act on this notion about dealing with fear. Um, and I don't think it's possible not to be afraid. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's possible to relate to our fear in better ways than we usually do. But when I look at some mm. of the things that are going on, the horrific shooting that happened in New York subway yesterday, uh, the ongoing slaughter of people in Ukraine, uh, my heart yeah. just breaks for, for for all of those people. The people who were shot in the subway yesterday were, uh, the majority of them were vacationers from Australia who were here on a cycling tour. Oh my gosh, I did not hear that. That's so devastating. I mean, it. there's such latitude right now for acts, so many acts of violence, and they can be small, seemingly inconsequential acts of violence, like the way we speak to or about one another, or large, very consequential acts of violence in mass shootings. And this latitude for uh, 
permissiveness to give into fear and anger is really shocking. I don't know if the right word is shocking. It's just really saddening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, how not I, to be afraid. <laughs> I, I, I really think that um, it's, it's just imperative that people who are interested in bringing to fruition in the world more open, compassionate hearts and lives have got to have that practice, that daily practice of being yeah. grounded getting information, being able to see. I had this memory, Holly, uh, of something that happened many decades ago. I was in graduate school and my first son was born. Mm. And my only son, we only have one. And um, back in those days, husbands were not permitted in the birth room and after the child was born and they cleaned it up, they brought it to a window where you, the nurse could, and one of my buddies from graduate school was with me standing there. And they brought this thing to the window for me to look at. And I looked at it and I thought, good grief. This is the most important, this, this child is just, oh, ugly. I couldn't, couldn't think of anything else to think about it. Oh, poor dog. <laughs> my roommate, I mean, not my roommate, but my best friend in graduate school was standing there with me. And he looked at uh, Doug and he said, Bill, he looks just like you. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. transformed what I thought about this blob of human flesh that I had just seen. I thought, oh, he's the most precious looking thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Because well, have you yeah. Somebody helped me to see that he was like me. Yeah. I was gonna say, have you since been able to say to Doug, i.e. to yourself, just how beautiful he really is? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and you know that uh, Desmond Tutu, whom we lost a few weeks ago, and the Dalai Lama are both convinced that, as, as is Karen Armstrong, and as was Jesus, mm -hmm. and as a lot of other people, that if we could just see each other, we wouldn't hurt each other. Yeah. Which really is also about seeing the self. Yeah. You know, this, this, it's never, I don't even think it's linear. One happens before the other, but they happen in tandem. Yeah. You know, um, and there is a, uh, you know, you know, James Baldwin is one of my favorite writers and thinkers. That's, you know, that's not necessarily light and easy reading, but the, he writes so much that is profound. And one of the things that he says is that we, specifically, he's, writing to white people and says, white people in this country will have quite enough to do in learning how to accept and love themselves and each other. Mm -hmm. And I think about this, like when we can really do this, really look at and love ourselves, then when we look up and out at another person, there's no need for the other. It's not that the difference dissolves, 
difference is beautiful. Difference is to be celebrated. Difference is to be loved. It's that the difference is praised mm. and the similarities, you know what I mean? It's like both come to light more profoundly. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, James Baldwin did not complete college, um, but has the most gifted way of stringing sentences together of almost any writer that I've read. <laughs> Where do you think he got that? Was it an innate gift? He, he was says, just a gifted man? You know, we all have different learning styles and his learning style may be uh, verbal, right? So he can express himself verbally in a way that those of us who may learn visually can't. He also, um, in his uh, childhood, was troubled. His father was abusive, um, but his father was a preacher. And from a very young age, James Baldwin was also given this sort of platform to grow into being a youth preacher. By the time he was a teen, he rejected it because he realized he was gay and the church in which he was participating did not accept him as a gay man. Right. but he developed this eloquence at the seat of this father who was simultaneously a figure of awe for him and a symbol of abuse. So his eloquence is, comes from pain. He, he also yeah. uh, lived in Paris for a long time, didn't he? He did. And, you know, he, in some ways, his time in Paris, and then he was very, very sick and spent some time in Switzerland for a while. Um, but his time in Paris, for, from what he says, was that time to sort of be the outside observer to this country that raised him, America, mm-hmm. right? And from afar, he could really address America in a, in a different way. He could understand her in a different way and write about her in a different way. Mm-hmm. But I mean, just, man, that's a, that's a voice that I feel like comes through once in a lifetime, you know, (laughs) Um, but prolific, prolific writer. I mean, hundreds, hundreds of essays and collections of essays and books, works of fiction, uh, works of biography. I mean, just really a prolific writer. You're courting him a lot, I bet, in your dissertation. Oh, he's certainly one of my primary influences. Yeah, for sure. When are you going to be done? For sure. Oh, Bill, if only I knew. I had this very optimistic feeling that I was going to write my entire dissertation within this semester. So by the end of May, and then I was going to submit it for editing and review, and then I was going to defend it in the fall. But I don't think I'm going to be finished with it by the end of May. I'm allowing myself to sort of accept that and go, you know what, like, this is a process and uh, it's okay if I'm not finished with it until September, but I do still hope that I might get to defend next fall. Um, It just means I'll have to work quite a bit on it this summer. So, okay. Yeah. We'll see (laughs) sometime in the next year. You know how these things go. So you don't have any time to do anything like read for fun, right? You know, I, I, I don't have that much time to read for fun, which is why I pick up books of poetry 
um, or books of short essays. I love this book. Um, reaching over to one of my small stacks, it is called A Small Illustrated Guide to the Universe. And it's a lovely book of illustrated short essays about life and the evolution of life and possibilities in the universe. And I love things like this right now because they're just little bite-sized pieces that I can read within um, you know, 10 or 20 minutes and not have to invest myself in a novel that I most likely won't finish until September. <laughs> So I am very looking forward to reading some like chick lit <laughs> or just like uh, brainless detective sleuthy novels when I am finished with my dissertation. So like what's the lowest form of thought that I can sort of embrace after I, <laughs> after I finish all of this, but one of the best books I read in the last number of years is a book called All the Light We Cannot See. Oh my God, I love that book. And the I, I love that book. And the author yeah. of that book has written a new book called Cloud mm -hmm. Cuckoo Land, which I just finished reading. Yeah. And I have it. I like it. <laughs> I it's a big book. It. It's a really big book. Yeah. And the yeah. guy who wrote Gentleman in Moscow. It's also uh -huh. a new book called The Lincoln Highway, which I like quite a bit like that. Uh -huh. There are a lot of good books out there. Um, there are a lot of books that don't get any recognition, but um, yeah. I have to rely on other people um, to make recommendations to me because there's so many books. I remember uh, I was in a um, psychology group years ago and one of the psychologists in the group that I was part of, it was a advanced IPO, IPR group. Uh, he was also a book publisher. He published, um, <laughs> he published books written by psychologists for the specified field of adolescent psychology. And he <laughs> was telling us one day about how many books are published a year in America and how much it costs to publish a book. And the success rate of books is like three to 7% of those who get published. I mean, it's really low. So if you yeah. have a book and you publish it and seven people read it, you could be lucky. But if it's, yeah. yeah. We live in this saturated time. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, we, it's, it, it, I don't know if more so than ever, but for sure, right now, we live in this very saturated time. And it feels almost overwhelming to know like which book to grasp and to hold and to engage with. It, it feels like a real commitment because you're choosing that one book out of the many, many thousands that are available. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're, you're committing to a relationship in some sense, but um, I, I mean, I'm just really enjoying these books that, that can be taken in, um, in small bites right now. And that's a different way for me to read because I'm usually a pretty invested reader. Um, I love to be drawn into a good story. Yeah. I love to cry at the end of a story. <laughs> I also love to laugh. I was thinking about the book I loved so much by Frederick Bachman. Um, my grandmother said to tell you she's I have sorry. read everything he's written. 
Me too. Yeah, that's another, you know, one part of me, and I don't know if this is true for you, but when I read I, fiction, not so much nonfiction or philosophy or history, um, but when I read fiction, it is because I want to tap into the breadth of human experience. Mm -hmm. And I want to tap into those emotions that, that make us more full. Um, it's, you know, their, their, their librarians use the word um, windows and doors, that books are windows and doors, um, doors through which we can enter whole new worlds and learn or windows through which we can observe, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I really think that as a voracious reader my whole life, and I think you've been a voracious reader your whole life, mm -hmm. that, that metaphor is very true. Um, that's one way that I got exposed to so many different ways of thinking as a child, because I just picked up books, <laughs> you know, but, you know, right now, TEA, the Texas Education Association has been given the order to do an assessment, and this is official now, of books with teams of parents that are deemed appropriate for libraries. And what that means in Texas language is pull out the ones that challenge, pull out the ones that may not be comfortable. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, and that just makes me so sad. I saw a list of some of those books just this week. It's so sad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, stay safe in Galapagos. Thank you. See if you I can, will. See if you can ride a giant tortoise. Well, I am going to ride a horse up to the a volcanic mountain. So uh, I hope no virgins fall in the volcano. I can't fall in it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway yeah it'll be fun and uh i will compile a short list of some of the things we talked about and on this podcast we will be back on the air in a few weeks yeah absolutely have a good couple of weeks yeah safe travel <laughs> love you thanks love you bye, bye.